Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter number 12. Notice verse number 43. Verse number 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Heads bowed, eyes closed, we're praying. I'm preaching on this subject today. Reformation without regeneration. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be in your house. God, we thank you for the sweet praises of the Lamb that we've sung this morning. God, I thank you. God, that when we come and confess our sin, God, you're faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, we're such filthy sinners. God, I am. God, so many times feel like Paul, chief among sinners. But God, our dirtiest, God, it can be cleansed by the power of your blood. So God, I'm reminded of what you said. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. God, the cleansing power of Calvary, God, is, it cannot be described. God, there's no one here today who's too dirty. There's no one in this world who's too dirty. And so God, I pray today that if there's someone here, God, who's walked down a long, hard road, They found themselves in the destructive ways of sin. Sin has destroyed their life. That God, they'd realize today you are the God of restoration. God, redemption brings restoration. Fellowship with God. A new beginning. A new creation. God, would you help someone today who's in great need of your mercy? God, we all are. Day by day. But thank God the precious mercy of God is renewed day by day. Every morning it's new. And this morning it's new. God, would you help me to preach today? God, use me as a vessel of honor. Forgive me, cleanse me, and God, I pray that now you will exalt your name through my mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered how many times certain individuals who are totally bound up in sin, how they could get to a place of being fed up with their sin and just cold turkey up and quit the sin that has ensnared them. I mean, they just walk away, just up and quit. uh, And they'll go for a while. It seems uh, that they've gotten their lives on track. Man, they're doing really good. Things going great. And then all at once, they just fall completely off the deep end. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
fall back into sin deeper than ever before. They just a short while ago were fed up with sin, but now they seem to have forgotten all about the pain and misery that it brought in their life. And so they just up, run headlong, back off into the sin that has caused them so much pain and they are hopelessly bound in bondage to that thing as it comes back into their life. <laughs> kind of like that Catholic man I heard about who had a nagging secret. He couldn't keep it anymore. So he goes to confessional and admits to the priest that for years he's been stealing building supplies from the lumber yard where he worked. Uh, How much lumber did you take, the priest asked. To which the man replied, well, I, I took enough to build my home and enough for my son's home. And then I took enough to build my two daughters' houses. Oh, and uh, there's a cottage down by the lake. It's a very serious offense, the priest said. I'll, I'll have to think of a far-reaching penance for you to pay. Have you ever considered doing a retreat, the priest responded. To which this man says, no, Father, I never have. But... If you'll get me the plans for it, I can get the lumber. <laughs> you never know anyone like that. Maybe you're like that. Maybe that's your idea of repentance, but friend, that's not repentance at all. Amen? That is a true picture. Hear what I'm saying. That is a true picture of an individual who would invite the reform of religion into their life without ever experiencing the new birth in Jesus Christ. In our text today, we're going to look at how that can happen both to a nation and also to an individual. So looking back through our text, first we're going to see a primary application. The primary application here is to the nation of Israel. You find that in verse number 45. Jesus says, "...and so shall it be also with this wicked generation." They in the Old Testament had become a nation filled with idolatry. The Lord had had enough of the hardness of their hearts and refusal to repent. So he sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians throughout time uh, to clean house, if you will, in an effort to eliminate the impurities of his own people. He was fed up with them, so he allowed, he allowed the uh, nations, surrounding nations to come and take care of business. Do you understand what I'm saying? They had made an effort to clean up their own house afterwards. They had decorated it with religion, but it was still empty. Now Christ standing in front of them in this moment, wanting to move into their hearts and lives, was once again rejected, and the nation would soon experience the results of their own unwillingness to fill their house. Prophetically speaking, the last state of these would be far worse than the first. Looking forward to Christ's coming death and beyond, we know that the Romans came against Jerusalem, destroyed at A.D. 70, and prophetically speaking further still, we know that in the tribulation time, they will suffer greatly, the nation of Israel. In fact, uh, just as this unclean spirit here, uh, he, 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 he moves out and he returns with seven more concerning the tribulation time, Revelation 13, 1 John says that as he sees the the beast rising up out of the sea, what does he have? Seven heads. Seven heads. So the nation of Israel could have and should have received Christ, but they 
would not. And friend, uh, they, uh, they, they just simply would not humble themselves. They had so much spiritual pride that they would not bow before Jesus, bow before God, and repent. Now I want you to realize something this morning. America's not in much of a different shape today. In fact, uh, she finds herself in very much of the same way. We're so prideful in America, uh, even uh, pertaining to spiritual pride. We've got so much of it that we think we're so strong that God has to bless us and we cannot fall. But I want to remind you of what Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If we want to be great, friend, we got to humble ourselves before God, no matter whether we be the church or the nation. That's just the bare bones of it. And so the primary application here is to the nation of Israel. But there's a personal application, and we find that uh, in an unnamed individual, uh, individual. Christ here speaks of a man. A man. The words of our Lord bring to life the scary reality of demon possession. It's not mythological, but it is, in fact, reality. In Christ's day, in the nation of Israel, most would have been very aware of the ability of demons or unclean spirits to inhabit people. Prior to these words in Matthew chapter number 12, the Lord Jesus has personally been referenced as encountering demons on at least four different occasions. Matthew 10, uh, we find that Jesus gives the disciples the ability or power to cast out demons. In Matthew chapter number 12, uh, or excuse me, after chapter number 12, there are at least two other accounts of Jesus encountering demon-possessed people. Not to mention the fact that he would still uh, confront Judas whom Satan himself had entered uh, just hours before the cross. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Yes or no? Okay. Based upon this conversation in Matthew 12, 27, the Pharisees themselves conducted some sort of demon extraction. The Pharisees accused the Lord Jesus of having a demon even being the ruler of demons, Beelzebub. You say, well, Brother Shane, the text says it was an unclean spirit. I I, I realize that. This word spirit in the Greek, it it simply means breath of air, uh, and it can be translated in a variety of ways, one, to suggest a demon. Uh, In fact, in another individual, in another gospel, Luke 4, verse number 33 says, And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. Friend, let's just be quite honest here today. We're talking about demon possession. Now, the Bible does not specifically state the origin of these demons. Uh, The best theory suggests they are spirits of some fallen angels. Those Some are reserved in everlasting chains awaiting for destruction. But it seems that some may be able uh, to roam about this earth in much the same way that the devil himself does. We do not know specifically, but what we do understand is that demons are adversaries of men. They stand against all men. Scripture states plainly that these demons who stand against men, they have a common fear. They fear and tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. The very power and presence of God, when Jesus comes on the scene throughout the Gospels, we see them uh, identifying or testifying, if you will, of His divinity. They know that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. They do. Amen. Now listen. 
Before I came to Hillcrest, I had never, to my knowledge, encountered anything like this. That is, until I went to the psych ward at McFarland. Uh, there was a young lady there that I went to visit. She was not crazy. She had a tremendous drug problem. Now that's a sermon in itself right here. You want to walk in the dirtiness of drugs, friend, you'll find yourself with demon-possessed people. Because what I'm about to tell you is going to shock some of you. This young lady had been raised going to church some. She knew the difference between right and wrong, but she chose the wrong, and it took her down a very destructive path. Now get the picture. I'm sitting in the common area, the cafeteria area of McFarland Hospital on the second floor, I am speaking to this young lady concerning the Lord, concerning her problem, what she needs to do to get right with God. I am pouring the words of life into this young lady. I am facing her. She's facing me. The door is behind me. As I'm speaking to her concerning Scripture, I hear someone behind me. And as I turn to look over my shoulder, there is a young lady who has stuck her head halfway in the door and as I make contact with her eyes she begins to hiss at me like a snake. In the moment by the grace of God solely I never slowed down. I turned back at that woman the young lady I'm dealing with and I began to continue on the same road I was on. I had a purpose. The hissing she snake left went down the hall, but in just a moment she returned. I'm pouring the words of life into this young lady. I'm begging her to come out of darkness into light. And in just a moment, that other woman sticks her head back in the door. I'm speaking the gospel truth to this girl. And that demon-possessed girl looks at her and says, Honey, You don't have to stay there and listen to him. And she's inviting her to go with her out of the room. I get up from the table after I'm finished praying with this young lady. I walk down the hall on my way out of the building. And as I'm walking down the hall, I meet a good-looking young man who is grinning from ear to ear. I say, hey, bro, how you doing? He said, man, it's the best day of my life. I said, man, you must have just got saved. You must have just met Jesus if it's the best day of your life. He looks at me dead in the eye. And he says, I am Jesus. The ensuing conversation with this self-proclaimed Jesus was quite comical. As I walk out the door... And I get on the elevator. It hit me. I had not realized what had just took place until I got on the elevator. I had come in contact with at least two individuals who were housing unclean spirits. Now friend, I want to say to you this morning that this is a very, very, very scary reality But it is a possibility for individuals who reject Jesus Christ. The unclean spirit 
The individual who houses an unclean spirit, hear me this morning, they do not need sedation by way of medication. They do not need reformation by way of religion. Friend, they need regeneration by way of the Spirit of God. For only the new birth moves into the, brings the Spirit of God to move into the heart of man. As Jesus would say, He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying. Self-reform is not the new birth. You can turn over a new leaf if you want to, friend, but that's not going to bring a new life for you. Now, please hear what I'm saying. I want to say this as gentle as possible. There may be some recovering addicts in the building today. And if you're recovering, it's only by the grace of God. I want you to understand that. But hear what I'm going to say to you. AA meetings and counseling are good in their place, but friend, Jesus is the only one who can deliver you from your problem and your past. Amen. You need freedom. and Jesus can provide freedom. So forget the resolutions and come to the solution. Hallelujah. It's Jesus Christ. As we look back into Matthew chapter number 12, notice with me the discussion. Prior to our text, in verse number 20, 22, there was a man brought to the Lord Jesus. See verse 22? Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw This individual had multiple problems. It seems that this demon had influenced physical disabilities in his life. Uh, Some even think that he not only was blind and deaf, or excuse me, blind and mute, but that he was deaf also. And so this seems to be a special case. Wouldn't you agree? This guy was messed up. He was really messed up. And so the Lord Jesus, being Lord above all demons and disabilities, heals the man of that which ailed him. I see in my mind the words of that great song, The Great I Am, taking place in living color right there. Uh, The word says, uh, the mountains shake before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty, there is no power of hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I Am. I see that in living color. In verse number 22, when the miracle took place, the Pharisees accused the Lord Jesus of being Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Christ rebukes them by simply knowing their thoughts, explaining to them that a house divided against itself cannot stand. For there was and is no neutral ground with Christ. Church, we need to hear what the Lord is saying right there. For those of you who seem to spend more time in the world than in the will of God, Christ is telling you your house is going to fall. It's going to fall. It's not a matter of if, but when. It's going to fall. Why? Because your house is divided against itself. It's divided. You say, well, I'm not living an immoral life. Hear me. I'm not living an immoral life. I'm just just doing what I do. Well, as far as we know, this old boy who was demon-possessed wasn't living an immoral life either. But he still housed a demon. So, friend, you trying to play church on Sunday and Live like the devil the rest of the week. You're going to find yourself in a really bad position if you continue to reject Jesus. So, here's what I want to say to you. For the Christian, I do not believe they can be demon-possessed. But I do believe that they can be demon-oppressed and demon-influenced when out of the will of God. 
You say, well, what's that mean for me? Here's what it means for you. There is no room for fence-riding, half-hearted, apathetic mentality in your human house, friend. Division only brings destruction. That's what it brings. So get off the fence, get all in, get on fire for God and live for His glory. Amen? That's what we need. Moving forward, our Lord then addresses the issue of the unpardonable sin. Now I realize when you hear that word, uh, it, it causes you to draw up. Every individual who hears of the unpardonable sin wants to know what it is and Jesus Christ tells us plainly in the text. It is to take the things of God that have obviously been bore witness to by His Spirit and attribute them to Satan. Now some believe this is a dispensational sin, meaning you cannot commit it today. Uh, but I, I, in my interpretation of what the unpardonable sin would look like today, it would be this, to reject the Spirit of God's call in your heart all the way to the grave you've committed the unpardonable sin. Amen. You cannot be saved once you enter into eternity. That's right. You've committed the unpardonable sin. There is no pardon, only permanent punishment for that individual. And so ultimately, every person who is lost in hell today has committed that sin because they refuse the Spirit of God. They just rejected Him, would not listen. Jesus speaks into your heart, speaks into your heart, speaks into your heart. And you say no, you say no, you say no. You may want to say yes, but yet you just, you, you don't want to repent of your sin. You don't want to give up the things of the flesh. And so you just continue to walk down that hard, dark road. And when you die, you'll wind up in hell because you said no to Jesus. Anyone who goes to hell today goes because they are lost in their sin. When the angel showed up to Joseph... Uh, telling him about Jesus, he said plainly that Jesus would save his people from their sin. Hallelujah. Leonard Ravenhill says that uh, getting out of hell is just a fringe benefit. And a really good one, I might add. Amen. I mean, I like the idea that I don't have to go to hell. Uh, nobody wants to go there. But the lost world needs to understand that they need a Savior because they are a sinner. They're sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. We can just get in one big pile together and we're going to sin. That's what we do. But listen, unless you are saved, they are lost and condemned already. Already have a cell in hell, if you will. Right. They're already the chains of sin. Uh, if you could build the picture in, in, in your mind for the lost man, the chains of sin are about his neck and the devil cannot wait until his death, he longs for the day when he can drag their cold, dead feet into the pit of hell. That's what he's waiting on. Well, from the unpardonable sin, the Lord moves to explain how a man is able to distinguish the difference between the saved and the lost. He says, just look at their fruit. That's what he says there in verses 33 through 37. Now look, we realize that I nor you can look upon the heart of an individual. We cannot tell motives. We do not know eternal destinies. We cannot look into an individual's heart and see where they stand with God. But God can. And so God here, He's telling us a way which we can distinguish by divine design that which is in the heart makes its way out through the hands. And we can determine based upon the fruit whether they be a believer or not. Did you know that everything you choose to do on a daily basis verifies whether or not you believe God or not? I mean, it really does. Every choice you make, every choice you make will tell somebody 
where you stand with God. If you choose to lie, fairly evident who you stand with. Your father, the devil. He's the liar, the father of them all, Jesus said. And so as we make choices, we bear our fruit, and our fruit reveals our faith. As we see the, uh, the Lord approaching this text here, there are some scribes and Pharisees. They come and ask the Lord for a sign. Now remember that, very important. And the Lord responds with verses 39 through 42. In those verses, He points uh, to the historical account of Jonah and the the faith of Gentiles in the Old Testament. By the way, uh, if you look at the account of Jonah and the Ninevites, the Assyrians, if you will, they were so wicked... When you realize that how, how bad they were, they were, and they, they repented, God gave them mercy. Friend, there's hope for America. There's hope for any nation who will turn to God. And so we see that. And then we also see an account of the Queen of Sheba. Those things were recorded in Scripture. Why is that important? Because he's speaking to individuals who know the Old Testament front and back. The Pharisees, the scribes, they recorded the Word of God. They, they were masters of the law, the lawyers, all these folks. The, the religious authorities had read these accounts. They knew them and they believed them. But yet they were still asking Jesus for a sign. Now watch what Christ does here. He begins to talk about the thing which He just did in verse number 43. He talks about an unclean spirit. Well, what did He just do? In verse 22, he just extracted a demon, right? But yet they were so blind that they continued asking for a sign when he just showed them his power. Now I want to say a brief word right here. If you're reading another translation other than the King James or New King James, you may find in verse number 38 that it speaks of another day. But the King James Version, nor does the New King James, indicate that there's a day of separation here. Why is that important? Because of the presence of the people. The same people seem to be present in verse 22 that are present in verse 43. If you're reading a different translation and you begin to dig in the Word and it indicates that there is a separation of days here, you'll lose the picture. That's why it's important to read the authorized version of the Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, here Jesus has, He's just cast this demon out of this guy, and He begins in verse 43 to talk about this unclean spirit. They are asking for a sign, and He points them to that thing which He just did. Now somebody say, open your eyes. uh, Are y'all here? Let's try it again. Open your eyes. They need to see what he's just done, right? Man, they're blind. They do not see what the Lord has done. Now, now, now hear what I'm going to say. Opening your eyes is exactly what I'm pleading with you today. The Lord Jesus is working all around us. We need to be aware of what God is doing. We need to see his power. But many times we cannot see it. Why? Because we're focused on the wrong thing. Now listen to me. If you come to church this morning for any other reason than to see the power of God, you come for the wrong reason. Because in just a few minutes when the invitation is given, there's an opportunity for a spiritual resurrection to take place. That's the power of God. There's an opportunity for someone dealing with an unclean spirit to be set free and receive Christ and be born again and be delivered. That's the power of God. 
And so we see right here the discussion. Now secondly, notice this demon. Notice the demon, verse 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Uh, He's said to be an unclean spirit, but friend, I want to be plain. He is a dirty demon. Now let me get in the locker room with you for a minute. The term unclean spirit as found here is not found anywhere in the Old Testament. But the idea of demons is. And they are related to idols. And idols are always considered unclean. The term unclean is defined as this. Impure, foul, unclean, and implies to be morally lewd, which is vulgar and or indecent. Now watch this. Parents, I'm asking you to hear what I'm saying this morning. I'm not trying to be an offense to you. I'm trying to help you. Please hear what I'm saying. I preached to you teenagers for over six years now about the idolatry found in sports. Now don't draw up on me. I'm trying to help you. Okay? Say, I'll listen. Please do. The idea of idolatry in the sports in America today is rampant. But yet so many, because they are blind, refuse and reject that idea. But what is it that seems to dominate every male locker room, every sports team? And let's not simply uh, exclude the men. Let's, Let's just go ahead and call it like it is. In our own local community, lesbianism on female sports teams is rampant. Whether you want to accept that or not, Let's just call it like it is. What is it that dominates the locker room? It is the uncleanness of immorality, vulgarity, indecency, foul mouths, and foul actions. Friend, I'm telling you today that far too many parents have promoted the idea of their children being gods in America. Now listen to what I'm going to say. They are blind to the fact of this unclean idolatry just in the same way these Pharisees are blind asking for a sign from God. Now hear me. I want you to hear me. Some of you put your children in places of prestige and honor, placing all your time, spending all your time and all your resources in an effort to build them up. I love my children. I want you to love your children. I want you to do all you can to help them be successful in life. We are ordered by God to do so. But listen, if you're building them up and never building up the body of Christ, they are in the wrong place. God gave them to you to raise in the ways and nurture of the Lord, not in the ways of the world. We don't need worldlings. We need young men of God, young women of God. In our country, man, many young people's lives are being destroyed by unclean spirits that move into their lives first by way of the locker room. But it's not limited to the locker room. It may be in the lounge area of your workplace. It may be in your living room at home. In fact, anywhere that you allow uncleanness to dominate... Friend, that's the place the unclean spirits reside. You know what we need today? Some of us may need to go home and do a spiritual cleanse in our home. Friend, listen to me. What are you putting on the TV? What are you listening to on the radio? 
What you put in here is going to work its way in here. And Jesus already told us it's going to come out here. Why? Because it's in the heart. I used to say this to teenagers. You put garbage in, garbage is going to come out. And friend, that's just the, 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 the long and the short of it here. And so if anything, if there's anything that dominates our day to day other than the person of Jesus Christ, friend, we are being led at best by an unclean spirit. So we see the discussion. We see the demon. Thirdly, notice the demon's departure. Matthew 12, 43, the scripture says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. The phrase gone out is one word in the Greek and it is used in a variety of applications throughout the New Testament. But in Matthew 8.32, it is used specifically in relation to the departure of demons from two men who had been possessed there. Now, that's very important in our text. Why? Because Christ is the only one who has the authority to cast out a demon. Do you understand that? Let me say that again. The Spirit's gone out of Him. Who sent it out? Well, Jesus did. Why? Because He's the only one who has authority over the demons. He's above every principality and power, friend. He has the power, the ability, the authority. Now watch this. Back in verse 22, Jesus cast a demon out of a man who could not see nor speak. He couldn't even tell somebody what was wrong with him. But Jesus cast this demon out. Now look, 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 look right here. Where do you think that guy is now? There's no record of him leaving. I'd say he's right there with Jesus, wouldn't you? But friend, he's about to get the shock of his life. You see, because Jesus says that when this thing goes out, it has the ability to come back. This old boy may have been deaf too. We've already discussed that. But can you imagine? He just got delivered from a demon. He's, he has the ability to speak now. He has the ability to hear and to talk. And Jesus said, hey, I, I know you just got delivered from that demon, but, but he got the ability to come back. What, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to listen real close to what Jesus has to say next. Don't you think so? And so every ear needs to hear what I'm about to say. Say, I'm listening. Friend, just because you've had a miracle take place in your life, that does not mean you are saved. I hear people tell me all the time, I had a car wreck and God delivered me and you know I know I'm going to heaven. Have you repented? Come on. Amen. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Friend, just because you get victory over an addiction does not mean you are saved. You may have had an amazing miracle take place in your life, but if you've never repented of your sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not saved. You are lost and you are headed for hell today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Well, notice here this demon's discomfort. He has departed, but it seems that he is in major discomfort. He is going through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Now let me ask you something. When you're tired and you're looking for a place to rest and you can't find it, what happens to you? You become irritable. How do I know? I do. Man, you better not go home with Brother Mike and eat it. He's mad. 
I'm just playing. Brother Mike, I'm just playing. Listen, don't you think this demon's a little bit agitated because he's looking for a place to lay down and he can't find one? He's seeking comfort. I see in my mind, 1 Peter 5, 8, living in loud, out loud right there, the devil, my adversary, walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This demon is looking for someone to chew up and spit out. He's seeking rest. We see his discomfort. Now notice his decision, verse 44. Then he says, I will return to my house from whence I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. This demon decides to go back home. You got the picture. We've already discussed it. Verse 22, the demon-possessed individual, Christ just kicked the demon out of the guy and no record of him leaving. It seems that you know he, he may be still in the presence of this guy and Jesus says that, that this demon has the ability to go back into an individual. I've already touched just briefly on this, but there are many people, many people who've been delivered from the demon of drugs and alcohol, pornography, perversion, but they're not saved. You say, how does that happen? Isn't that a good question? How does that happen? I mean, can Christ really set someone free but them not be saved? I want to show you something right here. Look at verse 22. Notice the wording there. Then one was brought. Now here's what I'm going to say to you. The old boy would have never got delivered had somebody not brought him. I said this to the teenagers this morning. We had a great week of vacation Bible school. We had eight or ten teenagers pray to receive Christ this week, not by any work that I'd done. In fact, I did less teaching this year. My, I had six teachers who, who poured into those students on a weekly basis, on, all week on a daily basis, and God honored their work. But only one of those students was a home kid. Another student had been coming on the bus some. The rest of them were visitors. How did they get here? Somebody brought them. Somebody invited them. Now, friend, if we don't bring them, there'll never be an opportunity for deliverance in their life. We need to do our work. We need to do our part. And so realize this. How can an individual, the thought is this, how can an individual be delivered, but yet in a moment, this, this demon go back into his life? Well, it may be because in a moment of their desperation, they cry out to God. Or as is, is the case of this individual, verse 22, someone drags them to Jesus, and God does indeed do a work in their life. Somehow, by His amazing grace, they're delivered. But once deliverance comes, they no longer have any use for God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Before you know it, they're right back in the same place they once were. How could that be? Simple. Their house is empty. That's what Jesus tells us. The Holy Spirit of God never moves into their heart. Their house is empty. Why? Simple. They never invited him to come in nor relinquished 
them him authority to stay. Do you understand? They didn't submit themselves to God. They wanted the benefit, but they didn't get the blessing because they didn't experience the new birth. Now, notice here the assumption of ownership in verse number 44. He says, that's my house. The demon says, that's my house. Hey, bro, this thing has squatted on your lot so long that he thinks he owns you. That's what I'm saying to you today. Uh, The devil's desire is to own you. He wants to own you, treat you like a little rag doll, a puppet on the string. You say, oh, no, not me. Yes, sir, you. Yes, ma'am, you. In fact, uh, Paul said in Romans 6 that to whom you present yourself slave to obey, you're that one's slave. And so listen, the devil wants you to be his slave. If you're overwhelmed in sin this morning, you're not just mixed up in the wrong crowd, friend. You are in bondage. You're tied up and you are bound by the devil. The lost man needs to understand there may be an unclean spirit dominating your life. He's walked into your mind like he owns the place and is having his way with you. You're suffering. You look great on the outside, but once you get beyond the front door, there's nothing but death and desperation on the inside. Friend, that's not God's design for your life. The Spirit of the Lord brings freedom. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave has a master, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Now listen, therefore... If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So to the lost man today, I just invite you to invite Christ to come in and kick the dirty devil off your couch and move into your heart so that the place of a prison might become a place of peace. Now look here. Notice not only the assumption of ownership, but the ability, ability to overpower. The ability to overpower. Verse 45 says, Then he goeth and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. Now let me illustrate to you this way. A lot of young people today come to the house of God simply because they have to. Their parents drag them out by the hair of the head every Sunday morning. It's a fight to get them ready to come to church. And they show up here, hair all messed up, teeth ain't brushed, shoes untied. You know what I'm saying? They come and while they're in a godly Christian home, mom and dad teach them the ways of the Lord and and those kids will keep their individual houses clean and in order, if you will, for a time. But as soon as they move outside the protective hand of God, they step out into the world, go off to college or simply find themselves in the workplace, what happens? They get thumped by the devil. Why? Because they're empty. They're empty. So if you sit here week after week and you hear the Word of God, the Spirit of God brings deep conviction into your heart and you never respond by repentance and faith, as soon as the devil gets opportunity, friend, he's going to be sleeping on your couch, kicking over your coffee table. He's going to steal your lunch money and be eating your favorite snack before long because you were hard-hearted and stiff-necked and rebelled against God. Do you understand the privilege you have here 
at Hillcrest Baptist Church to hear the Word of God. Friend, listen. This demon will overpower you. The demon was seeking rest and he couldn't find it, but when he returns, he is going to make himself comfortable inside of you. You say, I don't believe it. Well, let me show you what the Holy Spirit brought to my mind. If you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter 5. When I first studied this some months ago and preached it to our teenagers, I, 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 as I was preparing, actually as I was running one day, I was listening to a man preaching on the text of Matthew 12. And as he was preaching, the Spirit of God immediately took me to Mark chapter number 5. And let me show you today what the Lord has shown me. Mark 5 verse number 1 says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he, Jesus, said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. You don't want to miss this. In my mind's eye, this is a picture of what the Lord Jesus is speaking of here in Matthew 12. Did you hear me? This is a picture of self-reformation without regeneration. Matthew 12, 43 says that when that unclean spirit goes out of the man, when you clean your house and kick him out, somehow you're delivered... He goes through desolate places and decides he's going to come back. And when he comes back, what's he do? He brings with him seven more, more wicked than himself. Looking at this madman at Gadara in Mark chapter number 5, I began to think about this man, how he may have tried to kick his habits time and time and time again. Uh, That thing that, that he thought he could get deliverance from only came back stronger and stronger and stronger. How he may have just could rustle up enough strength somehow, some way to maybe cry out to God in the moment of desperation and kick the habit. Uh, but, but only a short time elapsed and then that unclean spirit came back with seven more, more wicked than himself. And then somehow, some way, by the grace of God, he was able to come before the Lord again and cry out. And, and in a moment of desperation, he, he finds deliverance again. But yet, in just a short time, seven more, seven more, seven more. Time after time after time, he is seeking redemption. He is seeking deliverance from these demons, but he's never seeking the Lord for salvation. Come on. Amen. To the point now, 
that his name is Legion. Now, you Bible students, you know that the word Legion, it's a Roman military term, and it expresses the amount of troops in a division somewhere between three and 6,000. Man, this old boy is full of the devil. Can you imagine the pain and the misery this guy's in? Can you see him there? His body exposed to the elements. He is naked. His mind exposed to the enemy. He is crying out. His heart is injured over and over again, being broke again and again and again. That pain is working its way out to bringing bodily harm against himself. He's cutting himself with stones. Can't you see him in your mind? What pain, what misery, what suffering he is enduring in his body? Friend, there's some teenagers in our schools like that. They come from a terrible home. Their minds have been exposed to way too much because their parents wouldn't stand against evil. And they have given place to the devil. The addiction promising fulfillment now only bringing death and demonic torture over and over and over again. Unclean spirits are always nagging through any avenues possible. You say, will they nag at me? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, they'll nag at you. I've already told you that a demon don't have the ability to possess a Christian, but he sure will try to attack you through any avenue that he can. Why? Because he hates you. What avenues are they? Alcohol, adultery, carelessness, carousing, drugs, defiance, lewdness, lust, the demon of rebellion, refusal to submit to authority. Maybe you once tried to clean your act up, but you wouldn't give your heart to Jesus. And you just played the part. Now that unclean spirit has returned with seven more. And he is running and ruining your life. You say, Brother Shane, I just can't escape my sin. It's got a hold on me and I just cannot get away from it. Friend, come to Jesus. I'm not simply talking about praying the sinner's prayer. Friend, if you pray the sinner's prayer from your heart and you mean it with all that you are, you'll be saved. But you can pray the sinner's prayer a thousand times and never come before God with a broken heart and contrite spirit and you'll walk into hell and burn forever. The church of the living God has lost her humility. You go ahead and walk in your pride and you think you can lie to individuals who are trying to breathe into your life. You go ahead and lie to them, but you're not lying to God. Friend, God looks into the very depths of your soul. He knows every lie you ever told, everything you ever stole. He knows everything about you. And friend, today, if you're being tormented in your mind by an unclean spirit, you've never been born again. You know it right now just as soon as I said it, whether or not you say it. Friend, you need to submit yourself wholly unto God today forsaking 
every attitude, every thought, every idea that is sin. That's repentance. You say, Brother Shane, you must think you're perfect. No, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And every time I bow on my knees, I ask for forgiveness. Why? Because I know that Jesus died for me and He died for you.